you're an orphan now. It's like origin story shit. My name is Matthew Grohl. And beer it is, I guess. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film How to Blow Up a Pipeline. One of the most awkward Googles you can do. I kept typing film. Yeah. yeah. I kept typing how to blow up a pipeline film Film. when I was working on the graphic. Uh, You know. Did you add in a PS if you're listening to this? I I am not a terrorist. I also, uh, (laughs) and then I first did how to blow up a pipeline budget. And I was like, oh, wait, no. That's uh, okay. Yeah. And no amount of clearing your browser history is going to (laughs) save you or me. So I don't know. We just got to, we got to be a little careful. Yeah. Definitely clear the on this one if you can <laughs> uh, or use an incognito mode but I don't think it'll help because nope. in the in the film and this is not a spoiler for the film but they do indicate that I think it, I think it is a disproven myth but that your phones are listening to you you know that you know that 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 uh, and 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 right now on on this table we have my phone. I think your phone is somewhere here. We have We've enough got, computers yeah, to launch two a computers, space shuttle. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly. I don't know if I don't buy the myth. Like it's too convenient. Now listen I also know that we're getting a little off topic, but yeah, fuck yeah, it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we are very, a human being is not as complex as we like to think we are. Right. Like it can glean from us uh, enough data from our day-to-day lives, not via voice recording, yeah. that it can figure out things that we're probably going to be looking into or talking about. And then there's the uh, the sort of like, weird little catch moment where you were just talking about pop tarts yeah and then 20 <clears throat> minutes later you see a pop tart ad yeah but the truth is you the conversation you had about pop tarts like what got you there is easily quantifiable and the computer's already racing on the same track and you both sort of land there at the <laughs> same time I think it was in Alex Garland's film Ex machina that had the best explanation about this where um Oscar Isaac's character says, because in that film, Oscar Isaac's character has built a, a, a search engine. He is the um, – you've seen x Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. Many times. Um, and he says the most important thing was that people thought what I – the information I got out of it was what people were looking for. He says, and that's not it at all. He says what I got out of it was how people were thinking about things. Yeah. And how they landed on a thought and what the process was to get them to that thought. And, and, I, and I think that's true of the case of our devices – and uh, what's listening is that, like you just said, it's it's on the same track that we're on. It is, it, and it's also there's a lot of contextual information with the phone as well, which is like what time of the day it is, uh-huh. where are we in the, on the planet, you know, like um, what is our usual habits around this point of uh, around this time. And I think the the thing that I'd seen about a, the sort of myth making process was that um, it takes into account your social context. So if you have friends that happen to be searching for pop tarts at that moment. And they know, and the, and the algorithm understands that you are associated with these people. It might serve you an ad for Pop Tarts at the same time. Case in point, uh, both Jamie and many of my uh, other friends. I don't know if this has affected you. Have you ever gotten an ad for Dwarven Forge? That stuff, the the D and D terrain. I have not. Okay, interesting. Uh, we don't, but maybe, I will, maybe but we let's don't see what now. happens after this. I, I basically uh, trained my algorithm to almost only on every web page show me ads for Dwarven Forge. Okay, uh, I've never which received is a tabletop it. terrain for uh, <laughs> RPGs. I, uh, I fear my browser history for the for the next month. Best in the business. Love <laughs> those guys. Anyway. Um, yeah, we're not here to talk about your search history or how the government <laughs> is tracking all of us or even <laughs> what flavor of delicious breakfast pastry you are thinking about buying before it is served up to you in an advertisement we're talking about well 
complicated film, which I think we should temper with some emails first. Okay. That sounds like a good idea because we, we, there is a lot to discuss with this movie. Yes. So we'll get through these emails. Again, these were sent to us a little while ago at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. We have been traveling. We have been banking episodes. So it's taken us a little while to get to these, but thank you again to everyone who emailed us in. Uh, the first was a, uh, related to a conversation that I actually can't remember how long ago we had this conversation. Oh man, I can't wait. But this was in relation to the fact that Elon Musk is renaming Twitter to X and the things are going to be Zeets now. Uh, okay. and, and then we got into a conversation about like, well, what is the best avenue for people to interact with us because we really like talking to people yes. about movies and we hope that uh, in the process of listening to this podcast you hopefully find a community of people who like talking to movies uh, about movies as well so Paul writes in colloquialisms I just lit you in listening to the talk to me episode which answers my question is which episode there we go here nailed it good movie and good episode and wanted to weigh in about your closing Twitter conversation as I know you know I'm pretty active on film Twitter and really enjoy conversing with fellow movie fans I came to your show as a podcast first and foremost, but interacting with ye hosts and fellow Topan fans online has been a major bonus. But now that Twitter is X, every day on the platform gets a little more unbearably cringe. All this is to say, I think a Topan Discord server is a great idea. I've never supported a Patreon before, but would be happy to make an exception for something like this. Looking forward to whatever you guys do. P.S. If down the road you need a people for a moderation team, I volunteer as tribute. Well, that is the, that is step one to any successful Discord. Thank you, Paul, for the message, by the way. Um, listen, I, you run a Discord, right? I so here's the thing: yeah. uh, extra credits does have a, a a patron Discord, right? Um, I do not actively run it. That is, um, uh, Cat, our social media director, and Will, our Twitch overlord. But mm. I, I, I reap all of the personal benefits. But my company runs the then, and we have, sure. let me be very clear, uh, it's because some of them might be listening right now. We have phenomenal mods like okay. it is uh, i think we're up to eight i, I think I, uh, maybe a little bit more um again i don't know the exact number but like they sort of uh piggyback between that and twitch for anything that has live interaction because you, you can't kind just of leave these to. people in a room like on twitter no really <laughs> uh because because and this isn't the problem of like any one specific person like it goes back. It goes. It back, goes back to the dawn of time. No, it goes back to that argument of like a person is smart. Right. People are stupid. Right. And what you need to do is like have not only a set of rules or a code of conduct, yeah. but also people that will actually thoughtfully enforce those codes of conduct. Because yeah. whenever you give uh, a human being anonymity on the internet. The, the chances of it going sideways exponentially increase. Gotcha. So it's 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 not that I, I'm parts of many discords. Again, Dwarvenforge Discord. I go there. Uh, there's a bunch of them that I just sort of am. Uh, there's another one, Loot Studios, and and just a bunch of nerdy stuff. I love them, but right. they have good moderation teams like we do. So to answer your question, Paul, I would be totally down to do a Discord. Okay. Um, I think we'd have to figure out, um, sort of a moderation strategy. And also, like, what a Patreon would kind of... Because we'd, we'd want to get a server. They're not crazy, like, yeah. expensive. Um, but, like, there's different things where... I, it, it's definitely doable. And if there... You know what? Here we go. More people. Email us in an onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com if, uh, you know... <laughs> Throwing a buck or a couple bucks at a Patreon got you access to a place where other Topam fam could just talk movies and stuff like that. Would you be down for that? I literally live on my computer. Honestly, I would be way more active yeah. on a Discord for our podcast than I would be on Twitter. Because you do a lot of the Twitter interaction. Um, mm -hmm. 
I refuse to call it X. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> Zeets. Um, but because uh, I've, I've been trying to wean off myself. Literally, I only post now when I have something hilarious to say or which is rare or uh, when I go live on Twitter or when we have the podcast. OK, um, so I don't know. I'd like to do it again. It's one of those so many hours in the day slash value props. OK, uh, but Paul, but- listen, if you've if you started a movement. Yeah, uh, we will be listening, and uh, I, w- I think it'd be cool if we could swing it. All right, uh, Muhammad writes us in. Uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, <clears throat> says, "Hey guys, hope you're doing well. I recently saw Oppenheimer, and after finally getting my hearing back, <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> I've been thinking about the film a lot. Well, actually, Nolan himself, and I think that it might be the only one who thinks like that. But in my opinion, Nolan's only appeal, besides legit mastery of the craft of filmmaking, is that he is an analog cog stuck in today's digitally dominated Hollywood." His refusal to shoot on digital cameras, his downright aversion to CGI. I think if humanity was capable of faster than light travel, he would have found a wormhole and would actually have gone back to a black hole to shoot Interstellar (laughs) and want to do everything practically as much as possible has given him the unique appeal that I don't think anyone else possesses. I think both Interstellar and Tenant would have been better films if they had been directed by Spielberg since he knows how to imbue his characters with genuine emotions. I know not many people can make films the way Nolan does, but I don't think the last time I had tears in my eyes after watching an emotional scene was in his films. Though at no point am I saying that he should become like Spielberg. What do you guys think? So, Christopher Nolan, our favorite Oppenheimer uh, conjurer of late. Um, Obviously, we've talked about him on the podcast. Um, Josh Horowitz was on the show, described him as one of the most important filmmakers um, alive today. Uh, I've said that uh, he commands a kind of space that uh, was akin to Stanley Kubrick uh, in the 70s and the 80s, which was that he is both critically acclaimed and uh, commercially successful as well, which is a very rare space. Uh, Steven Spielberg did occupy the same sort of space, although the critical acclaim for Steven Spielberg films um, was a little bit more, uh, I guess, peppered with this notion that Spielberg was more of an emotional manipulator and in a way kind of, I think where Spielberg landed was the best of the blockbuster filmmakers, whereas um, Nolan seems to be, you know, and again, this is anecdotal, um, in a space that is uh, akin to Kubrick, uh, which is that it is uh, he has a um, a transcendent of the medium kind of appeal. You know, Nolan's name means something else uh, outside of the uh, outside of just the films he makes. Um, in terms of his um, the quality of his films, it's it's strange to me that uh, he does occasionally get compared to Stanley Kubrick. Um, perhaps in the way that his films feel cold. I think Nolan is actually more of a humanist than Kubrick ever was. Um, and yeah, but that's not saying much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, it depends which films you're looking at. Yeah. Um, uh, and so I I think that, that th- there is a sort of strange appeal. I mean, like, you know, thinking of a moment that brings a tear to my eye is the inevitably the Matthew McConaughey moment in Interstellar. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. That moment lands a thousand percent every single time I watch it. Uh. Do, you, do you remember the moment, right? It's like when he's in the... When he's yeah, in the, it's the moment the movie lost me. Really? Yeah. Wait, I, well, are we talking about the same moment? The moment at the end when he sees the dog? No, oh. not at all. It's the oh, moment sorry. in the middle of the movie when he comes back from the first planet that they have um, tried to yep. uh, find a home in. It was the one with waves. And um, uh, 10 minutes there equals five you know, five years on earth or something like that. And he comes back and he's watching a videotape of his, of his children and they have aged completely. They've aged up to the point that, that, that he, they are the same age as him now. And he's receiving all those messages and he is uh, emotionally wrought realizing that he's missed so much of their lives. 
I don't think I've ever cried at a Christopher Nolan movie. Okay. I was just looking down the list. Okay. That moment in Interstellar, I think, is the one that, the, like, that's that's the best moment of that movie, and it's one of his best moments, in my opinion. It's funny. I think Christopher Nolan's, uh, sort of going to Muhammad's point, like, his value is, like, sort of, like, a master of the of the physical craft, as physical as it can be, of making films. Right. And I think any emotional resonance, I, I think his movies can have emotional resonance and have in the past. I think Oppenheimer's probably his most, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, but... It's odd. It's not the characters like Spielberg. It's it's the film as a whole has like almost like one track of emotions. They can go through different emotions, but I ne I never feel like characters in Christopher Nolan movies are ever having different emotions. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's it's odd. It's not it's not bad, yeah. but like uh for whatever reason, I'm thinking about Jurassic Park because I think it just turned 30. Oh, it's great. Um, and like you just look at um, you just look at uh, Grant, Sattler, and Malcolm. Yeah, they are vastly different characters going through vastly different sort of emotions in a fun theme park ride dinosaur thing where it's going off the rails. Like it's a different film, obviously, than Christopher Nolan one. But like in scenes that they're in, I can see that they're like feeling different things. Right. And even when characters in Nolan films are supposed to be feeling different things and you get across that they are feeling different things, I feel like it's more like, again, the packaging of the whole thing live, does more of the heavy lifting than anything else. Like, I feel like, and I don't, I don't want to put it all on acting or direction of the actors, but that has to play a part in it. Like, there's, there's, something, there's something there I can't quite put my finger on. We, we should move on because I, I do want to get to how to blow up a pipeline. The movie, not, <laughs> <laughs> not the topic. Um, but, um, we have to preface it which is, every time. I, I'm saying that because I could talk about this for hours. Okay. And the thing I could talk about here is, is something, again, I see it on our, on our Oppenheimer episode, which is that I think with Nolan... Um, one of the things is that his actual individual scene to see, scenes on their own tend to be very um, clumsy, in my opinion. You know, like, and, and I don't mean that. Uh, I, I don't mean to say that he's not a master filmmaker. Mm -hmm. I just find that his scenes come can come off a little clumsy, especially if we watch it, them on an individual basis. Where he really works is the accumulation of scenes over time, and you know, the cross cutting, the editing, the actual sort of overall. Um, peace kind of tells a story. The other thing is about Nolan that I think is interesting is that all of I I, I here's a here's a homework assignment for you if you're thinking about Christopher Nolan films. Place this adjective in front of every Nolan main character, a man haunted by regret. If you put if you place that in front of every single character, you will find that that is exactly how every single character plays out. That's how Oppenheimer plays out. That's how Interstellar plays out. That's how Inception plays out. That's how Memento plays out. That's how The Prestige plays out. That's how uh, Insomnia plays out. Uh, that's how The Dark Knight plays out. That's how Batman Begins plays out. That's how all of his films play out. It is a man haunted by regret. And and that is every single film he's made has, has that same um, tenet to it, except perhaps maybe tenet. Uh, oh, actually, no, no actually, it does. The, the, the villain. Um, but Kenneth, also, he has regret. He just doesn't remember it. It hasn't happened yet. 
In Tenet? Yeah. I was thinking about the uh, the villain character who played by Sir Ken- Also Kenneth has Rana. regret. <laughs> and anyway, um, I think I think it's an interesting uh, conversation point. We could do a whole episode about Nolan versus Spielberg versus Kubrick. Not in the sort of versus way, but in no, the sort of in like- in the versus way. In the celebrity yeah. deathmatch way. Yeah. Uh, or, or in like the, the versus battle, the versus- uh, Burkhardt. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for the email, Mohammed. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, we will continue these conversations as much as possible. We are coming up to episode 450 uh, we need, we do need a special topic. We do need something to celebrate 450 episodes. Cause this is 445. Uh, something along those lines, maybe 446. I don't know. Um, I'll look it yeah, up. we do. We do need a special topic coming up. So if you have any ideas for special topics, uh, write us in only movie podcast at gmail.com. We tend to celebrate every 50th episode. This is, this is, yeah, it's forget this episode is 445. We've done 445 of these. And in those 445 episodes, Matt, have you ever blown up a pipeline? The movie? No. No, 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 uh, no. In real life. Oh, no. Also, no. Uh, this is a this is going to be a harrowing journey. Okay, because we're uh, always going to preface this with the movie. Right. I would like to tell you, though, what the Internet Movie Database says how to blow up a pipeline the movie is okay. about. Okay. <clears throat> a crew of environmental activists plot a daring plan to disrupt an oil pipeline. <laughs> that was how to blow up a pipeline. The movie. Uh, the movie. <laughs> uh, this also played at the New Zealand Film Festival, and one of my favorite, favorite things to do is pick up the New Zealand Film Festival brochure. Uh, I'm just going to quickly read an excerpt here from the actual um, description that was put in there as well. Setting a match to the feelings of environmental pessimism, How to Blow Up a Pipeline assembles a motley crew of would-be saboteurs ready to take direct action and make good on the film's explosive title. Fit up with a glacial pace of pacifist social justice, agitators from diverse backgrounds come together for around a thesis of the two, 2021 non fiction book from which the film takes its names, which argues for property damage as a valid and effective form of climate activism. This was an interesting film to watch. And I just want to point out, I was looking at budgets and things. Uh, yeah. Do you know how much money this movie made in New Zealand? How much? Do you want to take a guess? I'm going to guess like somewhere in the vicinity of $10,000. $1,094. And that would be because it only played at the film festival. Yeah. Um, it, it probably didn't get a distributor uh, in New Zealand. Maybe it did. It's, it's distributed by Neon. Yeah. I couldn't find a budget for this, yeah. uh, but it is a, like almost like a micro-budget film. Like yeah. this is very, very, it's a very, very uh, The only strike. recognizable face I saw in there was Sasha Lane, who we, uh, we've mm-hmm. done three films with her, American Honey and Hellboy. Yes, but uh, also uh, the uh, the gentleman who killed it as Michael, Forrest Goodluck, yeah, uh, has been fantastic. in a bunch of stuff too. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because the film opens and plays as a heist movie. Um, and, and in fact, the director, uh, talks a lot about the fact that this is kind of a fusion of Ocean's Eleven mixed with maybe the battle for Algiers. And that's an interesting combination to think about because I can't think of a movie in recent years other than maybe, um, uh, the film Four Lions, uh, the British film Four Lions that really suggests that the, really, that really suggests the idea that terrorism is an act of heroism and it takes the position that terrorism is both righteous and um justified the, well, the problem and, and that and that is what the book uh, yeah. the, the, you know just just to be make sure that it's clear the book is not uh, a fictional book it is a uh, it is an academic text that suggests that um again uh property damage is a valid response to climate change um because the idea is, is that uh climate change is a direct human threat, and we should meet it on its own terms and um, 
um, traditional activism, protests, um, you know, political activism is not as doesn't work as much when something is literally, you know, killing you. Right. Uh, yeah, I think the 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 sticky wicket in that whole thing is the term terrorism. And uh, honestly, it seemed like it had a fairly well, a clearer in the American zeitgeist definition uh, before 9-11. And since 9-11. Right. Uh, everything is terrorism. Right. And uh, what the people in this, uh, what the characters in this movie uh, do is would be considered domestic terrorism. Right. Now. Uh, and and they and to be fair, they, they have a conversation they have, about yeah, that. Yeah. They have, and, yeah. And in fact, they say the line, if the American populace calls us terrorists, no, if, then we're doing something great. I believe it's if the American regime. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, look, there's there's a lot to be said about um, the concept of property damage as protest. Mm -hmm. um, the the interesting thing, the, the thing that I didn't know if I would uh, get behind here, especially with a title like this movie had, was, like, it's supposed to be environmental activism, but also there is a large risk of causing a environment, like an environmental disaster because right. they're blowing up an oil pipeline. Um, I really do like the way that the the messaging of this movie kind of handles that. They 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 go to some pains to explain that they're not going to leak that oil out and, of the. Yeah, and their plan is complic more complicated because of that. Right. Um, and I think that that speaks to I, I think overall, like that aspect of the plan, like yes, is the is this terrorism? Yes. Is this one also feeling justified in a way? Could be. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because they're not they're 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 damaging the tools in which, you know, the climate is being worsened. And they one thing I also kind of like is they don't act like it is still a victimless crime, even with how safe they're being. Like that oil is not going to be delivered to people's homes who will need it based on the system that is, uh, and they will, and, and the price of oil will go up and will hurt people. It'll hurt poor people. Yeah. It'll hurt poor people first. So like, I look, I don't have the answer to whether or not this is, I guess the sort of this direction is like correct or incorrect. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that has to go on your moral compass mm -hmm. uh, on a personal level. What I will say though, if we, if you, and I know we're going to be playing a clip later, but if you look at the news cycle, fear is what drives literally everything in this entire country. Right. So seems like it might work. Like, right. Like it's, uh, the news cycle is just inundated with dumb stories to feed the, the, like if they can rile people up over an Instagram post about Bud Light. <laughs> you can rile people up about anything. Right. And if 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 enough people are scared of X, then it gets coverage and maybe things could change in a way. I think um uh first of all, I want to I want to make sure A, we we're talking about how to blow up a pipeline, the book, and the film. And the film. A and we are not discussing how to blow up a pipeline. Um I uh, wouldn't know the first thing. I wouldn't know the first thing either. And I'm a pacifist by nature, and in no way should any of the conversation preceding or thereafter be taken as a as an endorsement of anything illegal? Um, yeah, I, I, I think that goes without, that goes without saying. But the reason I actually am saying that is that interestingly, if we examine this film from a moral point of view, and we've talked about this in horror movies, for example, uh, with, and this is a, a, a turn of phrase that I've 
you know, made up on my own um, called the, the, the morality clause of every film. This is a film clearly that plays with that morality clause in a very strong way, which is, which is to suggest that the, the heroes of this film, if you could, if you could chart its trajectory in the classic Joseph Campbell hero's journey kind of story, the heroes of this film are actively engaged in illegal activity. Mm -hmm. The interesting irony of that is the film that this film references oceans 11, for example, or any most heist films gleefully, endorses the viewpoint of criminals right and you know like that that is the 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 very nature of those films is that the criminal is an underdog who happens to take on a big corporation yep. and win so oceans 11 is about a, a, a ragtag group of misfit criminals who take on a casino and win and the reason we're okay with, with it that. is because the casino and the <laughs> owner are bad yeah no it, it and and so that that movie, whether we whether we sort of see it on these terms because we think of it as a fun, pleasurable kind of you know uh, Saturday night or Friday night kind of movie, um, is inverting a morality uh, a morality stance that we would in real life probably find abhorrent, um, and and you know there's not many cases of like people ripping off a casino in a massive scale at this way that wouldn't make national news as a bunch of criminals, um, so. I think there's an irony to the fact that that this film is essentially taking the same template and applying it to this, and yet we, uh, as we'll hear from the clip uh, later on, um, doing the appropriate thing that a fictional film would do, but doing it in a way that suggests that these characters are working outside of normal morality. And I think... Well, they yeah. are operating outside of normal morality, mm. but so are the characters of Ocean's Eleven. So are the characters of, of every heist movie. But we don't talk movie. about it. Right. I'm on the same point. I'm yeah, just you yeah, know, hammering we, that we home. Don't, we don't talk about those films in those ways. Yeah. Um, in fact, a lot of movies are about criminals as lead roles. Star Wars. Yeah, The Rebellion. Uh, the Rebellion as uh, as uh, heroic figures. I, there, there was a... I can't remember which movie we talked about it in, but uh, I remember listening to... Uh, a former CIA analyst who talked about the fact that uh, if you watch Star Wars in post-colonized countries, they will often uh, view it as a triumphant example of guerrilla warfare. Yeah. Um, you know, like, whereas Americans sort of, or, you know, Western cultures don't view it in that in, in that sort of paradigm. Well, I, I don't know. It's fine. Well, maybe not guerrilla warfare in particular mm -hmm. because the United States hasn't really had to, had to deal with that on its soil. Mm -hmm. um, but like... Well, and, and, and to that end, they might think of America as the empire. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I know. Yeah. And, but Americans don't. Yeah. That's the thing. Not. But yeah. no, Americans, this is the thing. It's yeah. funny. When, when you can... God, this is so complicated. Uh... <laughs> You can look at Star Wars, and whoever you feel the oppressor is is the em is the Empire, right. and you, or wherever you are, wherever you live, whatever, are the rebellion. Yeah. So honestly, I mean, there's a silly reason that's not totally true because not all the characters do, but like the Empire talks like this, and they're very British, mm. and like whatever you know, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so obviously, on the American side of things, it's, it's the, the British, British Empire, yeah. like you know, and but from other countries that it's, we've that we've done some fucked up shit in, yeah. Uh, it, America could very well be considered that. So again, it all comes down to perspective. And the reason why I brought up Ocean's Eleven before and was like, oh, it's because the casino owners are bad. The movie goes on a very, not not a 
super hard way, but like shows you the casino owner is bad. Well, I think <laughs> the other thing, or an I, unscrupulous fellow. It, who, it is an unscrupulous fellow played by Andy you Garcia. Be sad to lose millions of dollars. He also stole Danny Ocean's wife, man. Um, I, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, look, uh, this is not to. Um, we're saying this because. It again, um, Four Lions is a really good example uh, uh, as another film to look at with this. Um, I haven't seen Kelly Reichardt's film Night Moves as well, and it'd be interesting to to compare that to this as well, which is about a group of eco terrorists. Um, J.C. Eisenberg is in the lead in that film, um, but I think there's the this is a fascinating movie to watch because a it is terrifically exciting to watch. Yeah, it's it really is exciting. really well put together. Yeah. As a heist movie on its own terms, the other film that uh, is directly referenced by this is Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Um, a movie about a group of criminals and coming together. But it, in many ways, that movie actually deals with a sort of grander morality because they don't get away with it. Uh, spoiler for Reservoir Dogs. Um, what? <laughs> but, but this film directly references Reservoir Dogs both in its structure and its execution. And it is incredible. And, and I think... You know, again, it's coming from an academic text, and it would be interesting if they if they were just exploring the academic text as a documentary or as an essay film or something like that. But it's not. It's doing it as a very traditional heist movie uh, or a very traditional hero's journey kind of film, and it really successfully lands in that regard. The challenge is, is that watching it, you know that this is not quite the same way that. The other movies that we've mentioned, for example, uh, Reservoir Dogs or Ocean's Eleven, kind of operate. This movie works in a way that has you questioning the morality of these characters, and the and in a way questioning the morality of the film itself. Um, it didn't for me. Really? No. I mean, look, whether or not you agree with the morality of or the morality of characters in the film or not, I completely understood where they were all coming from. But did you take the film as an in? endorsement or an incitement that their their actions were justified uh in the film yes not necessarily like in a real world context right so that's that's an interesting dichotomy right like that on the one hand you're kind of watching the movie uh observing it as well the movie presents <laughs> the movie presents the characters each have a, a viable grudge towards a thing it's it's hard it, it, it's um and and you can see where the characters are coming from, just like Danny Ocean's wife got stole yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But like the like, so, and you understand that uh, casino owner bad or oil companies have fucked these people. Yeah. And so while you're watching it, it's presented as though these people are doing something heroic. The thing I like about this movie that I, for instance, you don't see in something like in Ocean's Eleven is the collateral damage is always discussed. Like, like it goes over, yeah, this is a, a way to help try to shake things up and try to save the planet. And some characters are not cool with the amount of collateral damage and some characters don't give a shit or they don't or they care more about the message, right? I'm thinking specifically of... Um, Social? Uh, yeah, uh, how do you say it? Social, uh, yeah, it's... it's uh, Soshi. Soshi, I think yeah, is correct, so, yeah. Um, uh, played by... Uh, Ariel Barra, who I believe was also a writer on this film. Yeah. yeah. So, so like she's just in for the cause, man. Like she's just going hard. Right. Um. She doesn't really care. Other characters, uh, like uh, Jamie Lawson's uh, Alicia, uh, basically were like, I think it was her anyway. It was like, here's all the ways that this is going to hurt poor people. Yeah. I like, and the and then I believe, 
the other character is like, yeah, but like, there's nothing, nothing like what's worse them being hurt now. And hopefully people change or them constantly being hurt by these companies. Like, and what I like about this movie is in oceans 11, there's never any moral question about should we no real moral question of should we rob this casino? Because it is presented in a very black and white way. This guy deserves it. They could use the money. We like them. Yay, crime. This movie does something different because obviously it's a more tangible thing that affects a global uh, a global population as opposed to one casino. Yeah. But like I I really enjoyed the complexities because I don't know where I fall on that scale. Right. Um it's interesting because the way that things like oil companies do get away with hurting so many people is the people that are doing it oftentimes are at such arm's length from the people being hurt that they don't even, I mean, it's not that like they don't know because the high ups do know, but again, it's so separated that they, they're easy. It's easy to ignore numbers on a sheet, not a human face. Right. Um, but, but when you start thinking about the actual human faces as some of the characters do in this movie, uh, I think the the equation gets far more complicated. And I like I like that this movie does that. Right. Another way to think about it is uh imagine if Fight Club was just about Project Mayhem and and following two characters working their way through Project Mayhem. Right. You know, like where they're blowing up a credit card uh company uh and in a way Project uh, Fight Club kind of gets navigates that as a sort of fun fictional exploration yeah. of of what's happening to uh, the narrator's mind. Um, you know, so it's not, the, the credit card thing is sort of an extension of that. It's meant to be sort of nihilist, but also silly nihilism, you know, not as purposeful as this. Whereas this, I think is not advocating for this approach, but certainly suggesting that we do need to rethink our um, approach to activism. I think I think this film is certainly putting a position where we do need to, where it's asking the audience to reconsider what activism means, um, particularly in just fra- you know the, the 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 sort of language that they're framing it, which is like imagine that an oil company is holding a gun to your head. Is the best way to approach that to fire back and act in self defense, or is it to you know advocate for change or suggest or uh, you know. Uh, Files for sanctions. Talk or, them through why mm. the gun is really bad for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to play this clip uh, that uh, Zishan Alim actually pointed us out to um, because uh, he he interviewed the director and mentioned that this um, that the you know the, the film had entered the lexicon of Fox News at some point, and I think it was interesting to hear the response from people who are not climate change advocates. Because I think in this room, for example, we are both not climate change deniers, we are climate change believers, and we would certainly advocate for more sensible, climate-friendly approaches to all the technologies that we use, including our vehicles, our technologies that we use, um, all sorts of things. But we're certainly, I I also think we're not um, aggressive um, uh, activists. Like no, sure. I, that's a that's a fair statement, yeah. right? Um, it's interesting to look at the opposing argument to this film. So I, I I want to, if we can, play this clip from Fox News. It's a couple of minutes, but I think it's interesting not to um, not to get into the merits or demerits of of the arguments that are being played here, but listening to how the film generates a response. Now the response might be 
um, agitated by the fact that it's uh, a news channel looking for topics to discuss. Um, and it, well, looking <laughs> up topics to drum up fear. By. Yeah, yeah, but but I think literally it, what they're doing yeah. in this clip, in my opinion, is a similar type of tactic of fear mongering that I don't know terrorists might do. But I think what's interesting to hear in this clip is first uh, a sort of they're just doing it stupider. Uh, first, <laughs> an, uh, uh, a sort of direct rejection of what the film stands for and mm -hmm. what the film is advocating for and suggesting. And a direct rejection yeah. of, so yeah. that, yeah. and a direct rejection of reality. No, and then a direct, and then and then revealing, you know, not uh, surprisingly, that that, uh, that rejection also comes from a place of um, rejecting climate science. Um, and, and it's interesting yes, to hear- Yes, reality. Yeah, interesting to hear how that gets played out here. So let's have a listen to this. Okay. Roll the tape. Rolling it. What Hollywood's doing overtly now is what they've done subtly for a really long time. Uh, but then go to the box office and see what hits. You think that this movie's going to hit like Top Gun hit? You think this movie's going to hit like 12 Strong hit, like Lone Survivor hit, like American Sniper hit, like The Hurt Locker hit? When we put movies out that show the true heroism of a selfless individual, the American people respond. They go, they love it. Hollywood's trying to bankrupt itself, I guess. I'm not sure. They, they've become so righteous in their cause, they don't understand the business that they're in. And that's fine. Make movies about blowing up pipelines. Nobody's going to watch it. I'm more concerned about the fact that I've got, you've got Rolling Stone actually you know, celebrating this film, which, again, I agree with Joey. No one's going to go watch this thing. The fact that they're, they're pushing for violence against Gen Z, I think, bothers me. But the fact that Rolling Stone is actually pushing, saying violence is the way to, to deal with the climate, you know, the climate problem, if you believe that there is one, all in the name of climate change. Everything is about climate change. What worries me about this is, I mean, first of all, are we sure this is a fictional tale? And then, and secondly, <laughs> Gen Z is like the TikTok generation where they go watch a video and then that is where they get their beliefs and their thoughts from. They're not a critically thinking uh, generation. So it does worry me for them to be fed, spoon-fed this sort of uh, propaganda. But look, climate change, radical climate uh, change agenda is actually evil because fossil fuels are needed for the flourishing of human civilization and for human life. And so ultimately, if you ban fossil fuels, it's going to lead to the loss of life. And instead, these people, you know, they follow people like Greta Thunberg, who I think deleted a 2018 tweet saying that the earth would end or the world would end in 2023. And I've got news for you, Greta, we're also here. So did not happen. <laughs> uh, but the problem for this is a lot of the leaders who, who push this sort of stuff, they want to impoverish people because they ultimately want them to be more dependent on the government. And then the underlings, the people who follow this are just looking for some sort of God because they do not have one. And they need something to try to give them some sort of false purpose in life. I'm so happy I don't know a single one of their names. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so if you have them, don't tell me because I don't, I, I don't. even want to know. I, and, and again, I don't want to uh, play that clip in order to dissect the argument, but rather to examine how the film as a film uh, invokes a response. And it was interesting there um, that they mentioned uh, one of, the, one of the, the hosts there mentions the Rolling Stone response to that. And, and then in the same breath, I believe, or maybe a little bit later, suggests that Gen Z doesn't have uh, the analytical skills to read a film correctly. But if you read the Rolling Stone article, um, 
The the final line of the Rolling Stone article that that mentions this is that you can feel Goldberg and his writers, which also includes Jordan Soule, and his actors trying to remain as observational and as close to neutral as possible about these bombers, until the film finally gets to a point where it does have to choose whether it wants to glorify or vilify these kids. And there will likely be a lot of viewers who feel uncomfortable with the option that's picked. It's at that moment that fictional narrative with an abundance of forward momentum or not, you remember that the source material that this is drawing from, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, is a thriller but no, it's not just a thriller. It's also aiming to be a Gen Z radicalization manifesto in the same spirit as the book. And if not with the same rigor, I don't ever so uh, ever see the Pentagon showing this to its employees, but I definitely see this playing on a lot of college campuses and provoking a lot of nodding heads. So first of all, is that Fox News clip saying that Rolling Stone is Gen Z? No. Okay. That, that's, I, so, that, because what they keep their... Mm. I get confused, right? <laughs> because especially in that clip or any clip from Fox that I see, yeah. they 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 do the dumb fashy shit, yeah, uh, which is basically like, listen, everything we're against is strong and dangerous and going to kill your way of life, but it's also weak and stupid, and we shouldn't even look at it. It's like you, it's what fascists do. It's like this <laughs> is the fucking worst thing in the world. It's going to kill your goddamn children, but like it's stupid. Like we're way better, and like we don't have to fucking deal with this shit. Because how could anyone do this? So is Gen Z dangerous or is gen z idiots watching tiktok i like, think it's i think it's the latter not the former um, that they're saying yeah that they're saying but but i think the argument that was being put forward there is that uh they're more troubled by the fact that the film you know like the opening argument here is that no one's going to watch this movie anyway because right. it's not it, as good as it's not as good as top gun so it's not dangerous <laughs> yeah so it's not worth i love that the clip starts yeah. with that so it's not worth talking about. No one's going to see this. If they believe that, they wouldn't be having this argument. They wouldn't well, have this segment if they believed that. Well, it's, I think the the reasons why, uh, you know, in the 24-hour news cycle, the reason why anything becomes a segment is a little bit dubious at this point. It's fear-based. Well, uh, it a thousand percent is. That's what that's what sells news. I, I personally listen to that clip and go, I don't think any of them watch the movie. Oh, no, no, <laughs> you know they, what I mean? they read, they read bullet points and yeah, they, whatever, yeah, I, that, that, yeah. that doesn't matter. What they're doing is generating fear. Right. And I, I think that, well, it, it, again, it also comes from a conservative mind point that climate change isn't real. Therefore, a film that's advocating for the destruction of property of an oil company um, is foolhardy um, because it, you know, it, it advocates for things that, that don't make any sense, much in the same way that, you know, to put it in, in other terms, Black Lives Matter don't isn't a valid cause because all lives matter kind of thing. Um, so the the point that was being raised there was that, you know, what they were concerned about was the fact that Rolling Stone had written an article about it in a positive framework. And the, the film was receiving positive reviews. This is mitigated by the fact that as far as the framework of analysis goes here, uh, box office is what matters, not not actual critical theory. And and you know to think about a film like The Battle for Algiers, which became which was banned in France when it first came out, mm -hmm. and then eventually you know seen as um, uh, a guerrilla warfare tactic handbook, you know, uh, and then praised by critics on reassessment as well as being um, almost revolutionary in its approach to uh, on the ground combat and and seeing how. Um, uh, co colonialism works its way into guerrilla warfare. Sure. Um, I so the reason I wanted to play the clip was not again not to really get into the climate science argument here, but to again just examine the way in which this particular film I think penetrates that mor moral imperative that most films have, because like Four Lions. It is advocating for characters that I think as we're watching it, we understand 
will be complicated to call heroes throughout this movie. Right? Sure. But it also, yes, and uh, mm. every character in this movie, I think, gets what they want. Yes. And 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 so is that, and 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 so if we can say, you know, that that there is a complex, complex relationship to whether we can call these characters heroes, the fact that they all succeed is a complicated message that the, that as in my mind, a sophisticated audience has to be willing to read. Sure. I don't know. I don't even know if they're heroes. I don't know. Uh, I just know that the characters in the, I guess this is sort of spoilers we're into at this point, but we've been talking about it for a minute. All did regardless, get what they went out to get, whether that is to get a message out or destroy the pipeline or stop poisoning of their land or, you know, or, or to a point like yeah. obviously the machine will ever turn on. Um, I just, I, I, without, you know, I'm not going to, because this is not the only podcast about ripping apart Fox news stories. Uh, it's just always so interesting to me. Like they, the argument against this movie from that perspective is utilizing the same tactics that the characters in a way utilize in this movie. Again, I go back to fear. You are trying to scare people away from something. The characters in this movie are trying to scare fossil fuel companies from uh, expanding ever greater without fear of retribution or of property damage. Mm -hmm. uh, Fox News is trying to take this thing that is both at the same time, again, a very weak, stupid thing that no one's going to watch anyway, but also an indoctrination tool that's going to destroy Gen Z um, and turning it into a, a, a fear mongering. So like to call what this thing is doing that, you know, or, or, or either indoctrination or, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like they're doing the same thing in the opposite direction, mm -hmm. which then starts to make the entirety of that argument collapse on its own moral self. Like, right. but again, this is thinking critically and from the place we pulled that clip from, that's not what that place is for. Right. Um, this movie is, is I didn't expect to, um, I didn't expect to not root for the characters as much as I did. So you didn't root for the characters. Some of them. Right. That's, that's the cool part about this. Right. I, I didn't root for the cause. I kind of understood where they came. Like, Honestly, there's no heroes in this movie. Mm -hmm. There's anti-heroes in this movie. Mm -hmm. If we're looking sort of at that definition of what a hero is. Because what they're doing, no matter how clean they did it, hurts people. Mm -hmm. And then you can get into, you know, is actual, could people, like, is heroism actually real or like what, whatever. But like, they're not, they're not clean. Mm -hmm. um, they are not superheroes. They are not, even though some of them even have the, the quote that I said in the beginning of this uh, of this podcast is like them alluding to like, oh, one of them's an orphan, that's origin story shit. They're, they're alluding to comic book heroes. Mm -hmm. And they use that as sort of a guide, I think, a, a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but no, these characters are complex and they all have their own reasons for um, wanting to commit this act. And that to me was a far more interesting watch than if I was, if it was painted in a, uh, I don't know how you do this, but I'm just using an example, like painted in a uh, stylistic way as say in Ocean's Eleven, mm -hmm. right? Like, because this is a real life thing that affects a lot of people. And, you know, depending on who you are, it can be seen as something heroic. It can be seen as something awful that you're like really, really uh, destroying lives faster than they would have been. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. I, very few movies 
not very few movies. I like movies that let me go on a journey of not agreeing with characters, but understanding where they're coming from. I think it takes a, a an adept hand and and uh, great great skill in in all of the cinematic arts to pull that off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny going back to the Nolan conversation. Weirdly enough, mm-hmm. um, sometimes in his movies because a lot of the emotional tone is the same across every character on the screen. I can't do that with his movies, with his characters. And here you can, even if you don't like what they're all doing, Um, you can feel sorry for them and hate what they decide to go through with. You can not like them and agree with where they end up. And it's just, I don't know. It's a super complex film. It's funny. I didn't looked up nothing about this movie before we before we did it. I was like, I thought it was a documentary. I thought there was gonna be. I thought it was gonna be like, oh, is this like how to blow a pipeline? Well, like, but like, I thought it was. I thought it wasn't actually going to be an right. actual thing about exploding a pipeline. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like a bunch of climate activism and like how to stop yeah pipelines from being implemented or something. Yeah. Um, so then when it was like <laughs> a heist movie, I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. I I think this movie has a lot to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think rather than a, a the thing that I think like Fox is trying to sort of uh, fear monger with, I think it actually shows a lot of different angles to the argument, mm-hmm. though it does end up giving every character what they want. What, what it doesn't show is the negative effects really that will happen to other people than these characters from their actions. Right. Um, because it's not interested in, or it doesn't really have the time to extrapolate that far down the line. But then again, oil companies don't either. So I don't know. Like, again, it's such, it's such an interesting moral seesaw. Yeah. I think for me, the thing that I walked away from was thinking about the fact that it is wonderful to watch a truly, um, I wouldn't say radical act of filmmaking, but I think uh, one that is directly designed to challenge the audience's understanding of what a film should do and how you should feel about characters that are coming out of it. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, a lot about the way, again, we talked about Stanley Kubrick at the start of this film. Um, I think a lot about the way uh, A Clockwork Orange is really designed to challenge an audience up front about who their protagonist is and why we should root for them, whether we should at all, really, because mm-hmm. they're quite terrible people. And um, I think more than anything, um, what I'm excited by there is a savvy, politically-minded audience watching this movie and being entertained by it, because part of the political action of this movie is the entertainment factor. And I think it is it is interesting because it then allows us to reframe you know, like the conversation that comes out of this movie is like, why would we watch a movie where terrorists are supported, right? Or where terrorists win. But then it, you know, even in this conversation, we've reframed Ocean's Eleven in in this conversation as like, well, the actual framework of entertain, of popular entertainment suggests that it's not about morally right or wrong, but who has the most power and who has the least amount of power. So whether you um, believe... Um, the 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 ragtag group of criminals should win against the the large casino is about is it, it's not about what your morality is it's about who has the most power and it's like we are suddenly becoming 
like foreign countries watching Star Wars again. You know, like it's 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 it 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 gives us an opportunity to reframe the popular narratives that we have absorbed over time. And I think what makes that fascinating to watch is that, you know, like they talk about Top Gun, for example, in that, in that Fox News clip, which is, again, is a deeply problematic film in terms of its, its political impulses for imperialism, um, you know, and its political impulses for the way in which, uh, you know, um, it operates in terms of uh, American military might in other countries. And You're talking about the original Top Gun. And 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 the sequel. Well, which, Maverick, they file the serial numbers off, and they they are a little bit cowardly about it, but it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, and I and and what I got excited by with this film is is the notion that an independent film like this, which uh, whose budget we couldn't find, that made ten thousand dollars in New Zealand. The, uh, yeah, it, it just made a decent amount of money. I just want to say, like, yeah. for what its budget was, yeah. I think it's total gross domestic. Um, actually, this worldwide is almost close to a million. But will cause um, will cause conversation, you know, like will actually spur conversation. And you know, other films that um, make these kinds of choices in different realms are in horror. So um, I think a lot about um, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which is a very icky film to watch, and you kind of forces you to reframe how what you think a film should do and shouldn't do. And well, I think, and I, and I really like that about this. Now, I've, I've talked about on the podcast the morality clause that I think is a sort of an interesting framework to use for thinking about horror movies. And I think about that because horror movies are designed for entertainment and to to sort of evoke um, basic primal um, reactions. So, and they're also on the forefront of social issues, like constantly. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so it's interesting, you know, like they, uh, having a sort of a direct one-to-one mora- morality of like, the good person will never get killed or what have, what have you, or people who deserve to be killed in horror movies, that's what will happen, um, is a good way to understand the way those movies actually operate. And and I think what I like about this film, more than anything around the conversation, because as I say, as far as you and I are concerned, uh, there's a probably, there's an element of preaching to the choir in terms of like the, the damages of climate activism, but also... Uh, uh, a sort of tacit understanding that just because we like the film doesn't mean we're endorsing violence um, or property destruction for for you know by by suggesting we like the film, but I think also it gives us an opportunity to rethink about all the popular narratives that we that we watch as well, from Lord of the Rings to Star Wars to Ocean's Eleven to any film that really does frame morality as a one way street when it can be read the opposite direction. And I think this again would make a really interesting counter uh, watch with something like Four Lions, which which you know takes the point of view of terrorists in London who are trying to bomb uh, um, a marathon, I believe. So you know uh, this is pre the Boston bombings, but does it in a way that is meant to evoke satire? It's meant to be funny, yeah. um, and this is not meant to be funny. But this uses the 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 sort of codified nature of the heist movie to do that, and it does it in a really interesting way. I think I think it's a real act of political filmmaking um, that is very, very effective um, and provokes interesting conversations. And one that I hope, you know, people, uh, if we do have a Discord server or something like that, would rattle around, you know, like this film would would be debated and discussed and... and um, but you always have to put the movie at the end. Yeah, how to blow up a pipeline. The, the movie. movie, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I actually, I, I haven't seen a movie take this kind of a stance since, you know, things like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer thinks uh, since um, Four Lions. And I, I'm excited by that. I'm excited by films to be genuinely 
challenging not only to a general public morality, a Fox News, you know, public morality, but also my own and and you know a general audience public morality. I think I think it's in, it's it's good for filmmakers to really punch the audience in the face. And what I like about it is it takes it's it's a really good exercise at looking at honestly the definition of terrorism right. and what you think as an individual that entails because again it's become a bit of a blanket thing and I know you could look up in the dictionary like what it's 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 using uh uh I, I actually have the definition up right in front of me but like basically using uh fear mm-hmm. to change something right. <laughs> that's the most real basic thing right uh, I'll pull it yeah. up from uh, Google here. The unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians in the pursuit of political aims. So it's interesting because in this movie, with that definition, against civilians. Mm-hmm. So what they're doing with that definition in some schools could not be considered terrorism. They aren't hurting civilians it directly. Mm-hmm. They're hurting. They're, this is the interesting part because they're definitely going to, with that pipeline not running oil, they're definitely going to, down the line, right. hurt civilians, but also at the same arm's length, at the same distance, maybe, maybe even worse, I don't know the numbers, the oil company is hurting civilians. So you look at these two sides. This is a group of civilians who are considering themselves hurt and fighting back. Like, and so it's just, it's really, it's a really good exercise, whatever side of this you fall on, or maybe you don't even have a legit side. And that's probably the smartest way to go. Um, it's just nice that like a film can show that complexity and remind us that, uh, you know, terms like terrorism aren't blanket things that like news organizations would have us believe everything that like we don't like or directly fully agree with isn't necessarily terrorism and you know or 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 there might even be as a viewer aspects of something that some would consider terrorism that you agree with like it just it all depends on who you are where you're from who you think the empire is like and this is a really interesting exercise as a piece of sort of um cinematic gymnastics equipment Mm -hmm. to like wrap your mind around and it does it. I think some of the things actually working in its favor. Um, it's it's interesting is that it is devoid of movie stardom. Like we mentioned, Sasha Lane being um, in here, or um, uh, the, the other actor, uh, Forrest Goodluck. Um, but they're not. You know, they're not. Uh, they're not um, George Clooney sure. and Brad Pitt and Matt Damon, or even I'm thinking about uh, Spike Lee's film Inside Man. It's not Denzel Washington and Clive Owen and Jodie Foster. You know, like there's. There's a, what it what that actually does is realize that there's a seductive appeal to movie stars, which is that they have a a power to um, disarm disarm and and wash the palate of any political um, understanding of the film. And by this not having that, um, it actually kind of manages to to work in a more effective way. Uh, so I think it's great. The second thing is is that it's so effectively made that it's. That you know, the one thing you could argue about political cinema versus entertainment is that political cinema tends to not be as entertaining, right? And this is really eminently watchable yeah. and funny and fun and exciting, and at times, you know, nail biting to watch. And it has all the hallmarks of um, of the best kind of heist movies. You know, like uh, you think about um, 
Jules de Sand film Rififi where they're trying to like open the safe and they can't make a noise or anything. You know, like it's this moment of tension where they have to get this thing done and, and all the odds are against them. In this film, they're trying to like lift up a barrel and tie it to a pipeline, but the barrels, the, the, the rope that they've, uh, or the cord that they have is slowly tearing away and they're all standing underneath it knowing that it's going to drop at any point. It's, it uses all that really well. You've got, you've got dumb characters, not dumb characters, but characters who uh, decide to have sex in the middle of the heist um, because they, you know, like they're, they're turned on by the by the thrill of it and all. The way, and the way that that's positioned is one of those characters you think might be working with the feds and like to change the thing. Like it, that's a perfect a, Reservoir Dogs yeah, uh, analogy There's as well. a lot of intrigue yeah. in this, in yeah. the group, uh, which is a cool thing to see, especially from characters that are so disparate like this. Yeah, and it's, it is, it is, it's dynamically, it's using all the tool sets of, modern action heist movies, you know, like, yeah. and, and use, and, and not in a way that is pastiche, not in a way that is satire, not in a way that is parody. It's using those tools like very effectively. Um, and I think that is, it's, it's a, it's a really bold, smart decision. I, I can imagine getting this film greenlit is a real act of political courage, you know, like it is a lot of people involved in making the decision to make a film and to make one that would be this reliant on the audience meeting the film halfway is is an act of political courage, and I and I I want to salute it and appreciate it for that. You know, um, uh, <laughs> and again, not endorse the the message per se, but you know, I think again, it's the power of fiction is also to test theories, and it's interesting to watch this movie test a theory, the, the, an academic theory. And and play it out and see and it, and you know no one got hurt making this movie, um, so it's interesting to to sort of see that play out as well. So I'm I'm excited by this movie, and it had been a while since I'd seen a movie, especially one that uses the language of action cinema mm-hmm. uh, in such a sort of subversive way. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with all of that. So if you haven't watched this movie yet. You probably should. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think actually we spoiled a little bit uh, some general stuff, but like I think that's not where the the secret sauce of this film is. Like if although I don't I don't know email is in onlymoviepodcast at gmail dot com. If you are a listener who listens to episodes before you've seen the movie, I, I know of listeners who do. I know that. a few. I just <laughs> always am so curious to hear more and more about you that. Monsters. I know. But but uh, but I also think that the another act of genius here is the action conclusion. And midpoint of the movie is all in the title. Yes. <laughs> Everything is in the title. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. There's no real spoiler here. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of, this has been the only podcast about the film, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, the, the movie. movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shahir, when you Ooh, are let's not. Let's be careful here. Let's be Shahir, careful. Shahir, <laughs> when you are not making sure to cross your I's and dot your T's <laughs> on a politically charged cinematic titling where can folks find you you can find my website www.shahirdaud.com s-h-a-h-i-r-d-a-u-d.com being extra careful in its grammatical um uh construction and spelling and uh lexicon of words uh matt when you are considering the messages of a film solely as the messages of a film and not an endorsement of its of its ideology where can people find you you can find me making fun of fox news anchors over at my website at m-a-t-t-h-e-w-k-r-o-l.com my life and works 
Also, Skeletor, the number four peer, is Instagram or PSN on Twitter. Wait, I'm just messing it all up. You know where I am at this point. Uh, next week. Anything coming up you want to see? Uh, I thought there was, but I lost it. Is it is actually a really quiet time, and I like that this is a time we can catch up on things. Sure. Uh, uh, I'll find something. I, I'm, I'll, I'll dig. I could have sworn there was something, but it, I just blanked. Right. Um, Write us in if uh, at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or email us on Twitter if there's something you want us to... Uh, to 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 catch up on. I, again, this is a good time to to do things like the Eight Mountains or How to Blow Up a Pipeline, the movie. Um, so, you know, things that we missed. I watched um, on the plane. No, I actually watched it in New Zealand. I watched uh, Stillwater, yeah. the Todd McCarthy film uh, with Matt Damon. It was really interesting. I was telling people that's a really good movie, yeah. and it was like it got scathing reviews at the time. And then when people when I talked to people about the movie, they were like, "Oh, isn't that like Matt Damon in a sort of Taken style action movie?" And I was like. That movie's a straight up talkie with like Matt Damon, like trying to figure out um, how to get his daughter out of prison in a sort of Amanda Knox kind of way. And it's more akin to No Country for Old Men huh. than it is to Taken at all. It is, and I was like, there's a great thing that happens when you watch a movie without the pressure of having to watch it around its release date, which you can just sort of take it on its own terms. And uh, this is a good example of that. Yeah, I, I, God, I'm still blanking. I'll find something. <laughs> Movies. You remember those? Uh, no, it's been a week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, until the next one of those week things, uh, we'll talk you in your brain if you listen to old episodes, but then we'll talk to you in a week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.